Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the ALS Association Greater Philadelphia Chapter Podcast. My name is Tony Heil, the Director of Communications and Public Policy here at the Greater Philadelphia Chapter. Uh, if you've listened to our past podcasts, which hopefully you have, on iTunes at ALS Philadelphia or at any of our web, our website at alsphiladelphia.org slash podcast, you've heard a wide breadth of topics from state legislators to people with ALS to national staff to researchers to walk teams and you know we're very excited to show a very diverse background when it comes to this disease and how people can get involved. One thing that our chapter is really proud of is that we host a number of ALS Association treatment centers and today I'm actually recording three podcasts in one day, at least that's the plan, um, with some really distinguished people who are fighting ALS at Penn State Milton S. Hershey Medical Center, though we'll just call it Hershey Medical Center for today. Hopefully that's okay. Uh, and here at the Hershey Medical Center, they uh, see a number of patients with ALS every week. Uh, they've been doing this for many years. And in addition to providing treatment, there's a lot of research happening here in our own community that's going to benefit all people with ALS to get us closer to a cure. My guest today is one of those people that's going to be learning some of the secrets about ALS and getting us closer to uh, helping people with maybe more treatments, a better understanding of ALS, and how we can make progress in this important fight. So that guest is Dr. James Connor here at Hershey Medical Center. Uh, Dr. Connor, thanks for joining our podcast. Thank you, Tony. So Dr. Connor, we've met a couple times. We've met at the walk, we've met at the clinic, but tell our audience a little bit about um, your background and why you do work on ALS. Sure. So I'm, I'm a, a PhD scientist. I, I received my uh, uh, PhD, uh, uh, let's just say, a number of years ago from uh, uh, from University of California, Berkeley. Um, I became interested in in the idea of iron and how iron is just so important for our bodies. We, we we can't use the oxygen that we breathe in unless iron is available to to help us. Uh, uh, use that oxygen. At the same time, it's such a delicate balance because if, if iron pushes the reaction too much with, uh, with oxygen, we, we, you generate what's called the reactive oxygen species and everybody's concerned and aware of, of, of oxidative damage and that's the interaction that mostly occurs between iron and, and oxygen. So that led us into a number of diseases, neurodegenerative diseases, uh, including ALS, which has uh, uh, been shown in some of the early literature a number of years ago that, that there is um, elevated iron in some cases in, in the areas of the spinal cord that are degenerating uh, and that uh, uh, reactive oxygen species might be involved. But the work that we're really here to, to talk about today is, is kind of evolved from that, but, but it's taken an interesting twist. Um, we were interested in, uh, in, in, in biomarkers, as, as many people are, and we wanted to know if we could help in any way with the, uh, maybe not so much with the diagnosis, because clinically, you know, our, our clinicians are very good at diagnosing ALS, but perhaps uh, contribute more along the way to helping understand the uh, the disease progression, as, as uh, most people are aware, um, you know, the lifespan, average lifespan after diagnosis might be two to three years, but this, the, um, the, the, the range is, is, is much greater than that. So 
we were hoping that we could be of some value with some of the studies that we were looking at uh, uh, along those lines. So we found looking at cerebral spinal fluid, that's the, the fluid that sur surrounds your, your brain and spinal cord. It's what your doctor collects when they tell you they're going to do a, a spinal tap or lumbar tap. Um, we evaluated the CSF of a number of ALS patients and tried to determine if there was any type of a protein profile, biomarker profile, that enabled us to um, to predict if there was a, a, a longer or shorter disease duration. And we came up with a, a a, a family of, of proteins that looked like that they were uh, uh, had some predictive value in, in the in the longer term survivors in particular. So what we did was we took that information and we put that together and 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 we as Dr. Amanda Snyder, a uh, one of our junior faculty here in the uh, the neurosurgery department at at, at Hershey, and um, uh, she put together a a, um, a cocktail, if if you will, of these factors that were associated with longevity um, and some some trophic factors that she was evaluating that are normally occurring in the CSF. We think that might have some. Uh, uh, changes in the ALS population, and and we use the animal model of, of, of ALS. And when 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 Mandy infused these uh, the, this this cocktail into the uh, uh, in, into the ventricles of these mice, the animals survived longer. So this was pretty exciting, very preliminary, uh, and so we, we, we submitted our proposal to the to the ALS Association, and we're fortunately just learned that we were uh, funded for three years to uh, to really pursue this work and see where it will take us. Well, we're glad that you got approved for a number of reasons. One, it's good research, and two, I'd hate to come here and tell everyone, well, this is good work <laughs> and it's not getting approved. Um, I'm writing down notes. I'm always fascinated to learn more about this. Um, so a lot of people probably think when it comes to research, uh, we have a problem being ALS in this case, and so we should go from there to finding out what's wrong and then find a solution. But really, you worked a little bit backwards with your background, right? You, you saw something that worked, not necessarily for ALS. You saw something that looked like um, not a solution but a treasure chest of possibilities, and then you looked to there from what could this actually help? Is right. that a good way of putting that? Yeah, it really is because I think you know sometimes we get caught up in, in you know there's a lot of interest in in biomarkers for for many diseases and you know everybody's kind of looking for that silver bullet that says well gee if I find this protein up or this protein down uh, that means you know something in terms of the disease so um, what we really, I think, are trying to do and, and hopefully beginning to show is that this biomarker work is is not only going to be clinically relevant, and we hope very relevant from the clinical standpoint, but it is, is similar to what you were saying. It's really guided us back into the, the, you know, the basic research in the animal models to say, well, if this profile seems to you know, be consistent with people who have ALS, but they they have the the the, the longer duration version. Maybe you know, could we help 
these could these become therapeutic targets that might help us to um, you know for those in the shorter duration can we help improve the the expression of those proteins to take the group out of uh, you know shorter duration into longer duration and of course the ultimate goal is you know how is this information how can we use this information to find a cure all right so i have two questions and i have to remember again both because you're making me think about two different things one uh, Lucy Bruin, Dr. Lucy Bruin from the ALS Association, chief scientist, uh, has been talking about biomarkers for a number of years. How, has this been going on in regular research for a long time, or is it something where now, because of the Genome Project and things, that um, there's just been a lot of renewed focus on what that what that is in the last few years, decades? Um, because it seems like that's what we hear about every time we go to Advocacy Day in D.C. Right. I, I think it's relatively... New, I think our, our our tools are better, so we can ask some of the questions. I think we're just thinking about the diseases a little differently. Learning that you know there, there's information that we could learn from things like evaluation of CSF. I think the Genome Project has helped a little bit in this regard, maybe more than a little bit, in that you know everybody's sort of searching for a genetic mutation. At the same time, we always you know, we realize that the sort of the business end, if you will, of a gene is the protein. So, you know, when we said if this mutation is is present in somebody, it may or may not mean something, and what it means is going to be is going to be manifested at the level of of proteins. So the these, I I, I think you know that the genetics may have led to to helping us envision or ask questions about the. Uh, the protein biomarkers, but I, and I think another part of that story is is how good imaging has become. You know, we, we sometimes don't think as imaging as a biomarker, but but it is. So you know, now if we can take somebody and have an MRI, then we have the CSF profile. <coughs> there's a lot of information that can now converge to help the uh, the clinician and the patient in talking about uh, not only as we said disease duration, but but in terms of, of therapeutic strategies, uh, so this, this uh, I think this type of biomarker profile is going to play a uh, a big role in 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 in, uh, in 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 its use clinically going forward. Yeah, we were talking about before we started imaging because I was a little bit late today going to with my wife to find out uh, how our baby's doing. She's 20 weeks pregnant, and we we saw the ultrasounds and. Well, this will come out after the fact that it's uh, we're announcing, but we found out it was a boy, which is exciting. It would be exciting either way. But, <laughs> but yeah, you can we could see everything. We could see the heart beating at 20 weeks. We can see the fingers, the toes, the brain. Um, they could see the kidney. It's things that I couldn't read. Nah. But you learn a whole language of how to read all these things. Right. I mean, we could tell from looking at that ultrasound, this is probably the most attractive and intelligent child that will ever be born. But well, that's, I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> I'll tell, tell my wife when I get back that I talked to a doctor. He's very smart. He said our child will be very intelligent. Uh, but so a lot of the way we're able to do things now uh, is because the technology just leapt. You know, it's just improved so greatly. Our knowledge and the technology are kind of converging at the same time so that not only can we move in a certain direction, but we have a way to know um, how to drive a car. Again. 
campus. You know, you have a way of knowing new ways of doing research that just weren't possible before. Right, I think new ways and, and, and of doing the work and, and the type of models that we now have, you know, with the computer modeling, you know, there is in the, in the earlier days of biomarkers, there was so much emphasis on sort of the silver bullet idea, you know, as I sort of said before, if, if this protein is up, that means I have disease X, or if this protein goes down, that means I, you know, that, you know, that I'm getting worse or, 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 or getting better. And what I think one of the real advantages that, that we made is that the, the way that we were looking at the data, not only looking at the, the biomarker profile, but the way we analyze this profile is not to say, you know, we think it's just one protein, but we think it's, and, and our data is showing, it's about seven or eight proteins and the way they, they react and interact with each other. So it's not just like, so, you know, this protein that's expressed higher than any others, but when this protein's up and this protein's down, that's a point of concern, not, you know, not just what one particular protein's doing. So I think, you know, sort of acknowledging the, the role of computer modeling and sort of big data, if you will, in, 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 in helping us evaluate some of what's going on here as well. Yeah, I think if you watch any sort of medical show or you know, police or FBI show, they're like, oh, well, this gene did this. And I always specify one thing because right, right, it's yeah. easy on TV. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, you have one mutation, one disease, and then, and it's, yeah, it's all easy then. But life is all about interactions. It's right. not like, um, you know, it, it, you're, you don't, you're not able to do research by yourself. You're able to do it because of um, your other assistants, like you talked about, other researchers you work with who are very accomplished, the patients that can come through. So those protein interactions are really part of what you look at. And so if you, if you switched one, it wouldn't necessarily change everything. It might change things in a worse way, right? You have to right. figure out how to change the whole system of proteins. Right. No, no, exactly. And, and you just made a really good point that I, I'd like to, to follow up on. Good. I'm going to write of, that down. I made a good point. <laughs> all of this is, is, is um, a, a, a direct from, from our, our, our patients who have been so willing and so cooperative to, to, to sit through a, a, a lumbar tap. And our, our clinicians are, are outstanding in, in, in taking the lumbar taps, but it's still you know, something that the patient has to, to go through. So we would not be sitting here talking. We would not have these exciting data in our animal models going forward if it would not have been for the, the, uh, uh, the cooperation and, and dedication commitment of, of, of the patients so it's, it's really the patients and and the, that, are, that are driving this for us and that's not easy work to do for one for the patient because it's not comfortable to put it mildly and it's also your research team is going to do the lumbar tap and other kinds of things they have to do it very specifically and right right mm -hmm. like yeah. there's yeah. not a ton of room for error in any of that right 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 no, and the uh, and like I said the clinical team is 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 excellent, and so the, the the risks are minimal, but it's still uh, you know it, it, an inconvenience. And and I mean these you know our patients are, are 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 sick, and so you know you you know when you don't feel well, you don't feel like putting up with something you don't you don't have to. So these um, again, we could not be more more grateful to the uh, to, to the patients that are uh, is it providing us with the the samples that we need to to come up with these biomarkers, uh, you know, nothing's going to happen with, without this level of cooperation from the, the patients. 
and you know that reminds me of my conversation with your assistant Linda. She was guiding me through the large complex that is Hershey Medical Center, and that it's grown for many for thirty years now, for more than that, uh, which is great. It means they're doing really good work here, and that people come from very far away uh, to come to the Penn State Hershey Medical Center clinic for ALS, uh, for other things like breast cancer, and uh, for the Children's Hospital. Um, but it's all about building those relationships. So. I think, and I've mentioned this to other people involved with research, that there's a stigma sometimes, especially from TV, where just like people think politicians are like Frank Underwood from Game, uh, House of Cards, they think that researchers are just very stiff sometimes, and they think just data, everyone's a number. But really, you guys come to recognize everyone as an individual, you know, you, you care about how they're doing in those tests, and that that means a lot in order to establish trust so they'll keep coming back but also to um make sure that the tests the whole thing is successful because you need them to come back and keep doing it right no no I, you're absolutely right and i think one of the real advantages of, of being here at, at at hershey is the interaction we have with the clinical team and 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 in particular under the direction of, of, of dr zach simmons i think you know zach is well known to to Many people, both nationally and internationally, is, is not only an outstanding ALS physician, but I mean, he's also a wonderful man. But the, the the program that he's developed around quality of care and and and, and quality of, uh, of of life for the um, for the ALS population in general is is something that's internationally recognized. So it certainly benefits us from the you know from the research standpoint that the uh, the rapport that that Zach and his team has and and as you said people come from great distances and and you know not only for 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 Zach's diagnostic expertise but then his uh, uh, expertise in, in in treating the patients throughout the rest of the uh, the life which is uh, you know very very Difficult disease, very difficult time for the the patient and the family, and and again, Zach's uh, uh, team has, has really taken a more holistic approach to you know recognizing this as uh, something that goes beyond the the patient. So I think we have benefited from, or I shouldn't say we think we have benefited from uh, the close interaction that we have with Zach, and I think that actually makes us fairly unique. That that you know you're not going to find a lot of places that have the level of interaction that, that, that Zach and I have. Yeah, and we talk about that the ALS Association has three prongs of fighting ALS with patient care, advocacy, and research, but really they all interact at the same Absolutely. time. Just like here, you know, the clinic doesn't exist on its separate column. It's all one thing working right. together towards the same end goals. Right. right. Now, you're absolutely right. I mean, Zach and I have many, many conversations, again, about, you know, what what from the clinical standpoint does he really need? And, you know, the obvious answer is, is, you know, is, is a cure, but, you know, we, as we sit down and say, this is what, you know, this is what can be helpful from the, the, the clinical standpoint. This can, is, is what can be valuable in the sense of, uh, uh, of, of looking at, uh, uh, efficacy of some of the, the clinical trials. You know, there, there, there are drugs out there and people are, are trying and again because of the somewhat of the, the range of the, uh, the ALS disease it's sometimes more difficult than we think it should be to evaluate the, uh, uh, the impact of some of these, these, these clinical studies. So again working with Zach and the other clinicians to 
on things like these biomarker profiles to say, you know, like I said, if, if this profile is associated with, 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 with a, a, a longer disease duration and a patient has a profile that is, um, uh, suggests that they're going to be in the short duration, but we have a, a clinical trial going on. They take um, the compound and suddenly they, you know, their profile sh shifts to the long duration, then we have new and exciting information and, and objective concrete data that says, you know, okay, this is this has worked. You know, your your lifespan may have only increased four years. And when we look in that in the big picture, it doesn't look like, you know, the, the big statistical significance that we want in a clinical trial. But based on your profile, you know, you, you should have been, uh, you should have succumbed to the disease maybe in the first 18 months to two years, but you made it to six. You know, somebody else that was in the four to six year group, you know, maybe didn't get out of that. So even if we had something that we could say, you know, all of these folks in the, you know, that are, that are looking at, at a, at a two-year disease duration, we can move them to, to six with associated increase in quality of life. You know, again, not the ultimate cure that we want, but a big step in the right direction. Uh, that's important is the steps in the right direction. And, and plus, you know, to put it bluntly, if people are able to live longer, you're able to do more work to get closer to that cure. Mm -hmm. you know, no, absolutely. I, I think that everyone here would much rather us be able to say that people live on average uh, four to ten years than two to five. Right. That's, I mean, it, we were just talking about my upcoming child. I would rather, I don't have ALS, thankfully, but I would much rather have those four years than two years. It, it, yeah. It's yeah. an easy choice to make. I mean, it's right. not the one choice that I would want, but yeah. you know, I'm sure you end up having to, in your discussions with people when they come to these trials, um, explaining things softly. You don't want to, you want to be kind about it, but you have to put things bluntly about what the end goals are near and long term. Right, right. No, you're right. And 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 you know, any disease fatal disease is is, is you know never anything somebody wants to to hear, but uh, as you know and the audience knows, you know, the the ALS is striking people in 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 midlife, younger people so you know, people who you know want to be around to see their their child born, their their their, their child graduate from college, you know, walk a daughter down the aisle, those extra four years mean mean a heck of a lot for, for, for quality of life questions. So now we're talking about the quality of life, we're talking about really a diverse population because, you know, most people with ALS aren't in their twenties or even thirties, you know, but there's a wide range of people when you're doing these tests, these um, research projects, do you you then work with Dr. Simmons to figure out a population that you can find that can fit with what you want to do? How many of those kind of demographic things do you have to take into detail? Because there's a lot that you could choose from. Yeah, no, no, that's a really good point, and 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 it's it's it is a challenge because so bottom line is yeah we try to to have minimal range in, in things like ages and, and because a lot of what we're learning is new in general. So how does the you know biomarker profile change with age in general? We, we don't know that. Uh, so you know we do try to to keep the ages as uh, the age range as tight as we we possibly can. You know the challenge there is the the numbers of ALS Patients, you know, you know, are, are are smaller than something like Alzheimer's or, or 
Parkinson's. So, um, you know, it's important that we be able to to evaluate as many age groups as we can. What we're doing now is certainly paying very close attention to the age and looking as we're trying to develop these profiles. Age is one of the things that we that we factor in. So I was telling that's actually one of the the advantages of the computer modeling approach is that we can ask is that okay if everything looks all right but we consider age a variable does it you know, does it make it better or does it or does it mess everything up so age is is and and gender are certainly things that we uh, that we consider when we do this the type of modeling that we do for these for these biomarker profiles and then also I imagine family history because there's a percentage of people with ALS that have familial form and are those people just the prime people to have for research even though it's five to ten percent like um do researchers like yourself do they like well we're going to do a project really we know these people have a history where they have the sod1 gene we want to get all of them or is it we know that 90 percent don't have a family history so let's like just focus more on them yeah it's you know it's, i mean it's actually both because when you, it's, it's sort of what you're saying from the demographics. So if you have this family history, I mean, ideally what we would be able to do is sort of categorize everybody by their, their genotype and say, you know, well, if you have the SOD1, you know, they're, you, you know you're, this, you're in this group and, you know, the HFE gene variant that, that we've reported that's, that's you know, present in 30% in of the, the ALS population, you know, we, 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 we pay attention to that. So the idea would be, the, the ultimate idea would be that we would be able to, to, to group people according to genotype and then look for, for similarities and, and differences. But, you know, we just don't have that, that many numbers at this point. Right, and speaking of numbers, this has come up a lot in, in conversations in the past year. Uh, is people talking about sample size in a test. I'm sure people brought it up to you before because you read a lot more than I do on this. Hopefully, otherwise we're in a <laughs> tough situation. Uh, but some people say, well, if it worked for one or two people, then it works, you know, because, again, the silver bullet way of looking at TV and anything, and it's understandable. But, you know, because there's a diverse group of people with ALS, that having you need to have something, have efficacy for a wide range of people, maybe not a thousand people, but you need to have something before you can say it works, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah no, you're, you're absolutely right, and I mean that's that's been one of the struggles with the you know the drugs that have been tested in 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 ALS is is trying to have enough people that that the data are meaningful to the general ALS population at large and at the same time paying some attention to these uh, uh, genotypes that we were just talking about so if for example you know 30 you, you may have uh, you know make, better make sure I use numbers I, I, I'm, uh, I can work with but you know so if we have a hundred patients in the study and 30 percent of them have one type of uh, a genotype that may gene variant that might affect the outcome of, of of not if affect their response to whatever therapy is being tested that suddenly you look at this and from a sort of the big picture of a hundred patients you say well I didn't really see any real efficacy in this study so we're you know we're not happy with the outcome of the the drug but if you go back and you say well these 30 people out of those hundred all had a similar genotype 
and they all responded either very well or, or, or very poorly to the drug. So if we take them separately and then look at the other 70 people, the outcome might be very, very different. I mean, you know, we may have said, well, these 30 people out of our 100 didn't respond to the drug very well, so they pulled the average down uh, for whatever our outcome was, you know, survival, and so it pulled the average down to the point where it didn't look very very good, and so they decided to, to stop the trial. But if we said, if we take these 30 people out and look at the other 70, the other 70 did, you know, they, they, they increased to, to six years, and so that was, you know, now, now we've got a very positive finding. We just, again, have to pay attention to the genotype of, of the group going in. So, you know, they, the, so the sample sizes are always important, but, you know, maybe what we're learning from these genetic studies is that they're, they're, they're even more important than we appreciate it because they may affect how people respond to, you know, to, to some of the treatments that we're trying. So with ALS and maybe even other diseases, you might find that the treatments can be more individualized and personalized. And that's a great thing on one end um, because that means that, you know, if I have a disease, then there's a Tony Heil drug out there. And maybe not, that's hopefully not just for me because that would be millions of dollars for one <laughs> drug. But um, it also means that that drug for me may have some harmful side effects for someone else. So you, you don't want to tell the ALS community, we found a drug and it works, but it only works for 10 people. It's, it's a tough right. line to walk. It, it is. It, no, it's, it's a very tough line to walk because you're, because you're right. It, you know, it, you know, there, if you have 10 people that respond to a, a certain drug and like I said, you have to go through millions of dollars of development and find that it's helping 10 people. It's great for those 10 people, but it's not great for the, you know, for the, for the other 90% of the, the ALS population. But, you know, and those are the things that we're trying to pay more attention to and learn going through. So, you know, for those 10, you don't want to shelve that drug because it's going to help those 10 people. But, you know, you really have to be able to design the study that's going to inform you in, in terms of the, you know, the genetic makeup and, the, uh, uh, and, and how that's impacting the therapeutic response. And so once you found a treatment, then you wouldn't just say you have ALS, here's the treatment, we're done. It's, we have this treatment that exists, we know it works for this kind of people in this kind of way, or that's what the research is showing us. So now patient two, we have to make sure you're the type of person that's going to respond to this before we just throw something at you. Right, right, yeah, because, it, I mean, you know, it's, you know, we all want to know. We can go to the doctor and get a drug that, you know, that, that's going to, to make us better. Um, and we, we know that the, those can be costly so it, it, it's more helpful to you know to, to be really able to have that information that says you know based on your your genetic makeup you know we think this drug is going to be a good fit or we can say based on your genetic makeup you know it, we, you know this drug has not been shown to to work and at least the patient goes in knowing a little bit more information and anytime we can can help educate the patient and the patient educate themselves, it's always a good thing for for any disease that we're working on. And, and so you're working on ALS mostly, especially with this iron and oxygen and all the protein interactions that you're, you're talking about. And you think, you know, you focus on this one disease and maybe your research can lead to other treatments for other diseases. So, you know, people say, oh, well, disease specific, or is it worth spending all this time on ALS if they're not attached to it? 
you know, who knows what the implications could be for step two after you do something here. Uh, right. I mean, we, we, we've done a lot of work. I mean, that's been one of the exciting things about sort of a focus on iron is that iron gets involved. We, you know, we, we had shown a role for iron in, in Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease. Both. Multiple sclerosis, um, right? And, and MS as well. my mom right? is yeah, MS. Yeah, and yeah, I think yeah, that's... yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there, 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 there's a role there as well. So what we've been able to... Um, to do and, and and again, given some of the, the strengths in our, our biomarker studies, is you know, we, we have a, a very active Parkinson center here, and, and we work a lot with our Parkinson's group doing similar types of studies, and so we think we're uh, uh, on the way to making some similar observations and comments about Parkinson's and and biomarkers as well. So you know, you might find something that what's working either as an end result with Parkinson's or that moving in this direction is showing positive results there. So maybe it, you could tweak what you're doing here, but can you really, you, you can't tweak that, that quickly or right? research isn't that nimble because you have to finish what you're doing first. You can't just usually can't just stop a project midway and say, Oh, this might work better because you have to retool right, what you're yeah, doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're right. And, and, and you made a good point about the, uh, the end result and sort of going back to the biomarker, we're really able to evaluate, changes as they're occurring in the living patients, you know, ALS is a neurodegenerative disease, as is Parkinson's and, and Alzheimer's. So as we look farther and farther into the end stage of the disease, many things start to look alike because what you're studying at that point is cells are dying and, you know, uh, the, the neurodegeneration is is. is going on to a point where everything, you know, there's the final common pathway and you're looking at that. So in, again, going back to our, our, our patients that are allowing us to intervene earlier and, 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 and obtain some data much earlier, it's going to be much more informative in terms of uh, disease specificity. You know, is, is this something common to all neurodegenerative diseases or is this something that's really more specific to to ALS or to Parkinson's or, or, or to, to Alzheimer's so again each time we learn we can go back and ask the question of another you know similar type of disease as I said you know a neurodegenerative disease but the answer there yes or no becomes informative because it's saying you know well no this is specific to Alzheimer's we don't see this in ALS or yeah, we're seeing this in both, you know, anytime we see a neurodegenerative process, we see this certain thing going on. And so that, you know, again, helps focus and drive the, the therapeutic strategies. Well, like you said, I think the word there was learn, because even if a test fails, um, drugs often go to stage two or three, and maybe there, unfortunately, there's a failure with ALS or something else. But even in the case where you don't get that silver bullet, you're learning along the way of what works and what doesn't work, so you can retool yeah. for the next time. Yeah, that, 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 that's so true, and, it, I mean, and it's so difficult because, as you said, from the scientific end of things, we've learned something. The 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 the, the thing that is, is sad that upsets us is that you know we, we've we've not helped the patients that specific patient population, but you know as we always sort of talk about with research being hope, you know, is that, you know, we have learned something and it's, you know, it, it's, it's not helped this specific cohort of patients, but, you know, it's talking about your, uh, 
you know, your next generation, you know, what we can at least come back and say, okay, let's take what we learned so that the next time we do this next drug we have, you know, we've learned from, from what we've, uh, uh, we've learned from the previous trial so that every time we think, we hope we're getting better. Well, and I want to pick up on what you just said, because you said hope in the next generation. Uh, I look, at, when I walk into your office here, there's pictures of the recent graduates from the past few years. You talk about all the assistants that are working with you now and over the years. Uh, we met Shohini Banerjee at the walk, and I mm -hmm. noticed you talked to her beside that, and she's only 16 years old doing right. ALS research. So where we've come from 15, 20, whenever you started years ago, uh, on research to now and then the people looking forward, there's got to be a lot of excitement and hope about what's possible. There, there, there is, and, and, but you touched on the other part of this and with the, the ALS bucket challenge, you know, the, these young people come in and they look and they see the data and they see the excitement and they see where we can go and then they see that, you know, that, that money's tough. You know, we, we have you know, lots of ideas, and as I, I tell our, our donors and the, the people that, that, that you know, that, 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 are, that are interested in supporting our, our research and the ALS Association in, in general, you know, that you're part of our implementation strategy, that, you know, we, we, we have ideas, that's, that's our job to come up with ideas and design good experiments. Um, we can't generate that hope without the, the, the support of, of our, our donors, uh, obviously the NIH, if uh, you know, as, as, as funding maybe gets sorted out there someday. So, so it, it, it's, it's those folks that are, are making the, the donations who can, you know, take, uh, I hope, pride and, and comfort in that, as I said, they're the, they're the implementation strategy to, to the ideas that we generate. Well, and that reminds me, we talked, we see how, about the, how the Ice Bucket Challenge changed what we can do, both as a chapter for patient care, obviously investing in research, and the vast majority of that money went to research, but you can't just pick up a few million dollars and go to the research store, right? You have to, as an association or as a researcher yourself, you have to look at the best science available, and also, you probably have to think long term. You can't just say, well, we're going to buy all the research that's out there right now. Right. You want to invest because you don't know if it's all going to be there tomorrow. You're doing a three-year study on iron and oxygen and proteins. You, you can't just say, I'm going to buy the research and tomorrow we're going to have it. Right, right, right. No, you're right. And I think that's part of the the challenge from the, the, the standpoint of, of, of those that are, that are, are making decisions about the, the funding. You know, you begin to look not only at the quality of the the science, but at the investigators as, as well. You know, are these people with with a good track record? Do they generally do have good ideas? That because uh, you know you said the key phrase there, good science is you know we'll learn from good science, and what we hope we learn is is immediately applicable to to understanding ALS. But what we have to learn out of every investment is new information, new direction. So it may not be that three-year grant to some scientist on ALS that that led to the you know to to you know that, that immediately led to the to the cure but the publications that came out of of, of that three-year project somebody else picked up and read and said oh you know now I know what's going on based on what I do so that person comes into the to the ALS community and you know maybe that's the one that gets funded for the cure so the 
you know, looking at people with, with you know, with solid track records, that, you know, that, that are known for having good ideas for good, doing good science, and that, that's, that's the population that's ultimately going to, uh, to lead us for a cure. Yeah, and there, you said about protein interactions, there's also research interactions where mm, yeah. you're going to put out your information in a few, in a, in a while, and someone else may see that and run with it to the next level or say, hey, what if we just did this little thing instead and now it's going to do something else, whether for ALS or something else. So all that research collaborates together, yeah. especially here at Hershey Medical Center where you're collaborating with the clinic team. Right, yeah, and, and that again I think is, 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 is a key point. It is, you know, we go to the ALS meetings every year and, and actually Zach and I always go together and, and that way we get make sure we get both ends covered you know he, he's in the clinical meetings all day and I'm in the basic science meetings and then we have lunch and dinner and discuss you know what what's new what's exciting and you know things we should you know are, are there new ideas we should take back home and and, uh, and, and try and test out on our on our own so uh, yeah the, the the scientific interactions are, 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 are key as are as you said the clinical interactions with the with the, the basic scientists well, let's keep those interactions going. I, I appreciate the collaboration that's happening here at Hershey Medical Center. Um, really excited in my few years working here about what's happening, but I think we'll be most excited once we get some big answers soon. Uh, so thanks for sharing your expertise with us today on this podcast. And if you want to get involved to support Hershey Medical Center and the Walk to Defeat ALS, even though it happened in June, you can support it all year round at www.hersheywalktodefeatals.org. Get involved at www.alsphiladelphia.org for our whole chapter and learn about more research. And you can see some of our other videos at, on YouTube at ALS Philadelphia. And, of course, all of our podcasts as well. Uh, so look for those and continue to be involved in sharing on social media. And, and also get involved in research. Promote it locally. If there's a way to get involved, even if you're not a person with ALS, right? You, if you're a family member, a friend, there might be ways that you can get involved that you don't know. So ask, ask, ask. Right, right. You can always write your congressman and senators and, and tell them to support NIH research as well as uh, obviously continuing to, um, to to support the uh, the ALS Foundation, ALS Association as well. And thank you, Tony, for this opportunity and for all the support you've given us as well. Well, I'll take all the credit. That's <laughs> I won't. Uh, thanks to all of our donors and supporters and volunteers, and uh, continue to support the ALS Association. Thank you, Dr. Connor.